0: Welcome to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we're going to explore, question examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. Hi, I'm Bob Wheeler, host of the Money You Should Ask podcast and The Money Nerve. This month is March Money Mindset. We're at week three. This week, we are giving away 10 free full access passes to the Mastering the Emotions of Money online course. This course teaches you how to become more aware of how you react in money situations. So you can start to change your responses going forward for your chance to win a full access pass, visit themoneynerve.com forward slash fresh start 2021, or click on the link in the description to enter. Join us next week for more giveaways in week four of March money mindset. Our next guest. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's all good. Can I
1: take my hand down now? <laughs> you can. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Hi. What's up? <laughs>
0: hey, Paul, how's it going? Hey,
1: Bob. Thanks for having me.
0: It's good to have you here. Well, let me I'm going to read this amazing bio cuz it's got it's got a lot of stuff. And Neat. then we're going to get it even it's it's full of meat. Mm. Um nationally touring comedian, writer, podcaster. Uh 20 years in digital sales positions for companies like Yahoo and Facebook. He retired at the age of 42 only to find himself bored missing his work friends, and annoying his wife. After three years of trying to find himself, he resumed his pursuit of comedy and took him all over North America, opening for top comics like Daniel Tosh, Dave Attell, Norm MacDonald, and many, many more. Uh, An official selection of The Laughing School, Asheville, Cleveland, Big Pine, D.C., and North Carolina comedy festivals, Paul created and hosts the Crazy Money Podcast to explore the connection between money and happiness. People can be happy with money. Cool. Through the lenses of his guests, expertise and money journeys, previous guests include prominent authors, academics, CEOs, winners of Nobel Peace Prizes, Heisman Trophy winners, PGA Championships, Olympic gold medals. Paul lives in Atlanta with that wife who got annoyed, two tween children and a French bulldog named Colonel Tom Parker. Paul, it's good to have you here. I think I need
1: man. To make that, that bio needs to be longer. I should I should, I should, should add another page to that bio. Okay.
0: Well, I, you know, I, I actually got rid of four pages.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I, you I, did a good I, job condensing I, it. I, Thank I condensed,
0: you, you know, it's uh, Cliff Notes.
1: Cliff Notes. There you go.
0: So, so Paul, so you retired at 42. I um, did. And was that your plan when you were five years old? You said, I'm going to work for Facebook. I'm going to be one of the first 250 employees and then I'm out.
1: Bob, when you and I were five years old, <laughs> uh, there was no internet. Our, the, <laughs> That's right. Our Wikipedia <laughs> was the Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, you know, our Tinder was a was a was a note that said, "Do you like me? Yes or no." <laughs> uh, I didn't know what Facebook was. I didn't. You know, when I was when I was a kid, my dream was to just have enough money to be able to uh, to not stress about money. Right and I think i've been I think about these things a lot. I write about these things a lot, and <clears throat> excuse me, you know, I was one of six kids in a loving, stable home of parents who stayed together for fifty five years, but what? money was always I know crazy, right? <laughs> How did I end up as a comedian? What's wrong with me? what happened? <laughs> I think it was because I was ignored and I needed attention but that but happens. I do believe my my financial orientation was, was born because I saw my parents stressing about money and I thought I never want to stress about money. And the way to not stress about money is to make as much as possible. That's where my ambition found its root.
0: Yeah. And did your parents talk to you a lot about money or did they just, you just watched them freak out?
1: You know, the, uh, parents didn't talk to you when you were in the 1970s, Bob. <laughs> they, they said <laughs> they, they parents gave us, you know, basically like uh, you know, they, they just gave us sound bites, right? And so when we'd say we wanted something, they'd say we can't afford it. Now move on with your day, right? right. And this was amidst the you know the 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 overhanging doom of of the Cold War and my my Catholic upbringing, so. Yeah. I had I I I lived in constant fear of of the Russians invading, um, being condemned to hell for eternity because of my chronic self touching. Exactly. And going broke, so th- that's the trifecta <laughs> of Gen X anxiety. God is watching. Good Catholic guilt. God is w- and your grandmother. Your grandmother's watching. She's your watching dead too. grandmother. Yeah, they're
0: all in a circle. That's hot. <laughs> oh man, and so um, did uh, did your other siblings like? How did you deal with money? Like, you knew your parents were stressing. There's a lot of kids. It's Catholic, so, you know, that's the right amount. Um, We had five kids. We weren't Catholic, but people assumed that we were because my parents drank, and uh, (laughs) we had lots of kids. So, recipe Uh... for Catholic. Um, Did you, like, did you get all the hand-me-downs?
1: Did you... Yeah, well, the hand-me-downs. So I think the, um, you know, my oldest siblings had much tougher parents than the younger siblings did. Um, by the time I was number five, and by the time I came along, my parents had basically given up. They're just like, "Don't wreck <laughs> the car, don't get anybody pregnant, and you'll yeah. be fine, right?" And if yeah. you graduate, just do that. My older siblings had tougher parents. Um, but the younger kids were the ones that never got new clothes, right? So we, right. You know, we wore ill-fitting hand-me-downs until we turned 15 or 16 and could make our own money and go to TJ Maxx or whatever the 1985 equivalent was <laughs> to buy <laughs> ourselves some cut-tagged Chaps golf shirts from <laughs> the, the, the entry-level Ralph Lauren. <laughs> you can tell I'm not bitter about any of this, right, Bob? No, you can hey, tell I've really what? let go of it, can't you? You, know,
0: you got to let it go. You got to let it go. Hey, listen, we shopped at Montgomery Wards. I grew up in a very small town. Montgomery Wards and Parks Mm. Belk was the... Belk, there you go. Parks Belk, that was the benchmark. (laughs) That was the benchmark. Did you get an allowance?
1: You know, uh, I'm I'm giving my parents a lot of hell, but I don't think... I, I don't remember ever getting an allowance, but you know if I needed money to go do something, my parents would give me a 10 or a f- 5 or a 10 or whatever it was. You know, if I had a date in high school, my dad would say, do you have money? Because he never wanted to be... He would never spoil his kids. And he did not, I don't believe. <laughs> but he never <laughs> wanted me to be, to be caught without money. You know, oh. So he's a very practical guy along those lines. You know, he didn't want me to be uh, you know, caught short on a date.
0: Well, that's nice. Your, your dad is nicer than mine. My dad would have said, Well, I hope you can find <laughs> 10 bucks between now and seven.
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, we worked, you know, I cut, um, they instilled, look, I think I had in retrospect, and again, I think about this a lot because uh, I think in retrospect, we had maybe the best of all worlds because we had enough we had parents that loved us we had parents that ensured that we were going to get through school with no debt which was a huge one but we didn't have nice stuff my parents never drove new cars we did we got i remember when we got wall to wall carpet the yeah, air conditioner yeah. in in atlanta didn't get turned on until the 4th of july you know like it was we had air conditioning he just didn't turn it on right don't need and- it Right. Well, it's only 89 degrees at 10 o'clock at night. Right. (laughs) Turn on the attic fan. That's that's a perfectly adequate substitute. No, so I mean, we had everything we needed, and so I, you know nobody's self-made i i did i was pretty successful and and some of that is is the ambition and the hard work i threw at it but a good bit of it is the foundation and the love and the education my parents provided me without which who the hell knows what we'd be i'd be a really good comedian is what i'd be Bob, <laughs> You'd be because you have a little bit more okay bitterness comic.
0: that's right now when you um <laughs> So, we have something in common that we didn't know until recently, but uh, how did you end up at rhodes college uh and did that help you or did it I, hold you I, back?
1: I, <laughs> the honest truth is I didn't get into my first three choices <laughs> <laughs> and i mean i and i and I don't say that like i you know. It, It's funny when you're 17, 18 years old applying to colleges, you don't know what you don't know. You have no idea. You're just like, and so I applied to Princeton, UVA, UNC, and um, Rhodes College and the University of Georgia. Um, And I didn't get into Princeton, UVA, and UNC. And the reason I didn't get in is because I turned in my applications longhand with liquid paper all of the first draft. Can you imagine a kid today turning in a college application in ballpoint pen? The first draft with like scratches on it and liquid paper on the goddamn on the goddamn (laughs) paper. Right, like, Like, but I think we bought like matching liquid paper. Like, one of the applications was on this like green bar paper, and we had like (laughs) green liquid paper. As if that was going to throw the admissions office. They won't notice. They won't notice. (laughs) So I turned in the first draft of my essays that were just complete shit. (laughs) <laughs> to To these schools, and then my my college app, my college advisor. Th- these people were so overworked at my high school. They're like, you don't need to go interview. It's fine. You'll be yeah. you, th- 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 there's there's not a lot of competition at Princeton. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. So anyway, but I had met uh, Mike Clary, who was the football coach. I at know Lake Mike Clary. College. Yeah, great, great guy. Yeah. And, and I saw pictures of the campus, and I said, "Those those pictures are pretty." Mike Clary's a nice guy, and they gave me a nice scholarship. I was like, "I guess I'm going to Memphis." Yeah. And that's, how, and that's how I ended up there. <laughs> you know, and I just went on a ski trip with buddies of mine from that I lived with on Glassell Hall my freshman year. Oh my God. I so, was there. Yeah. Yeah. I, Glass,
0: so, oh my God. That's yeah. Sorry. You said Glassell Hall and I just remembered Cinder yeah,
1: Blocks and linoleum floors. Remember it was it was <laughs> deluxe.
0: <laughs> but it was a beautiful campus. And uh are a you great
1: glad place. You,
0: you stayed. You you stayed.
1: I did, and I and I made lifelong friends there, and and I was very fortunate to to I, I had a great time, got a good education, and it it launched me in the right direction. <laughs> I even worked there for three years afterwards in the right. in the in the admissions department. All right, I'm sorry, it's, <laughs> that's not where I worked. Development, right? <laughs> I worked in development. I raised <laughs> money. Yeah. <laughs> well-
0: had to admit I prof- you in the oh, I was
1: a professor of classical languages for four Oh okay years.
0: I remember I, I took Latin from you um even though I <laughs> went before you <laughs> <laughs> now okay so you went to college you're gonna make lots of money because you don't want to struggle because if you make lots of money um totally makes sense 100%. but you also and you also maybe want to be a comic.
1: Well, that's so so. Here's the irony. So I I I did plays in high school and huh. had a great time. And I remember being on stage and thinking this is the most fun I've ever had. Yeah, better than football. Better yeah. than better than than a lot of things. Okay, maybe not better than one thing, but better <laughs> than football. And so. And I was on, but I was, and I remember thinking, I'm like, this is so much fun, but nobody does. This isn't a real job. You can't make money being an actor, right? And so, and so, I just forgot about it, and I went off to college, and I was like, I'm going to be a business person because business, if I if I study really hard, someday I'll be able to afford a Buick Lesabre, nice, and then then I will have arrived. And so, I, I eventually go to business school. Because I wanted to make, because I was working at Rhodes making no money, and I'm like, I want to make more money, but I don't know how to do that. So I go to business school to try to figure out what's next. One night at a talent show, I tell, I just start making fun of my classmates, and the room is packed, and the whole room is just laughs in these waves, and I'm like, oh, Ugh. I experience the the narcotic effect of of laughter and i was like this is what i want this is the rush this is the feel and among all these really smart people at dartmouth's business school this is what makes me different yeah, and yeah. that's how i got hooked
0: yeah no there's nothing like the drug of laughter
1: nothing
0: and the pain of silence <laughs>
1: Right, right.
0: <laughs> Which sometimes yeah. follows. So, often follows. It often follows. So you, you ended up doing this. You worked for Facebook. Uh, when, you got, when you started working for them, did you have any idea how, like, how big it could get?
1: The joke I tell about this is a true one. And so I was actually doing comedy in LA for two years full time. I was hosting out at the Improvs in Orange County every yep. weekend. And I did it for two years. And I don't know, when I went out there, I was expecting, of course, Hollywood to be like, oh, you finally arrived. Thank you for coming out here so that we can make you famous. And after doing it for you know two years, I got engaged and I was thinking, I'm going to be a family person and I need to have a reliable source of income. And at that point, a friend of mine that I'd worked with at Yahoo called and said, would you be interested in joining this small social network called Facebook, which had about 250 employees at the time and about 25 million monthly unique users? Compared to the almost 3 billion they have today. Right. And, I, and, and I, I literally said to my wife, I think this company could be as big as MySpace. <laughs> that's the kind of vision I had, Bob. Well, that's, it's a good... It's a good and I was right. They, they did get as big as MySpace. So...
0: Yeah, I think MySpace is uh, no longer space.
1: <laughs> it is negative did, space. It I don't even anti-matter. know... anti-matter.
0: Do they even ex- I think they exist a little bit,
1: but uh Yeah, they came back in some f- – I I'm sure if it, it probably if you type in myspace.com into your computer, it redirects to AOL or <laughs> you know, the DMV or something like yeah, that.
0: Exactly. Dial up, dial up. Um so and did you have when you decided I'm gonna be a family man, I've gotta be stable, I'm gonna do this this social thing, uh any bitterness, any sadness of like there goes my dream or like- well, I, you know, I,
1: yeah, I mean, I felt like, again, this comes from the ver- the practicality that is not beaten into you, but instilled in you when you're raised by depression-era parents, yeah, who are highly practical people, right? Yeah, and it's like you, you, you have to get it you have to have a job, right? You have to have right. like a real job with you know like a paycheck and insurance and all that stuff, and so when i When I left comedy, I was you know it's funny, I just ran across an old hard drive and I started looking at these things and I, I watched the first set I did in two thousand and five, and I had only done like forty sets total when I came out to hop to to l a right. opened for Daniel Tosh do with, 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 like my forty first set, and he's like, "Oh my God, you're terrible, literally <laughs> said that and then and then two years later, I was like, "Wow, I was really making progress." And so I opened for Jeff Dunham filming his Comedy Central special. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm really getting better and making progress. And then, then I just cut it off and stopped. And so it was frustrating. And I, and I didn't do it for the money. I did it. I didn't do it for the riches. I did it for the stability. And, and so, um, yeah, there was some bitterness and I felt like I'd failed a little bit and I and and I had to look at my former colleagues who knew I had gone to chase my dream and now I was back and so there was a little bit of tail between my legs kind of thing. Right. Right. But right. you know, nobody really I mean, people admired the fact that I would give it a try and then a year later I was 100% back in the digital media business and comedy was a was a distant memory for that period.
0: And so when you retired, when money came in and you retired And you sat around annoying your wife.
1: Uh, (laughs) I could also do that standing up. I could do it. There there you go. Any position, I could annoy her.
0: That's that's awesome. (laughs) That's a skill that not everybody has. Um, What like what? uh, You didn't really have a game plan.
1: I had no game plan. I thought because I had achieved more wealth than I could ever have imagined, I was like, well, I'm just going to quit and. Meaning will find me something to do, will find me. Yeah. And I, I and I was afraid, honestly, to go back to comedy because I'd moved back to Atlanta and I didn't know anybody and I was afraid of failing again. And so I, I literally just, I did almost nothing for, for two years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I did stuff and I, and I, I took a lot of meetings and I networked and I wrote this or that. And I did some, I'd speak at conferences about what it was like to work at Facebook, but I had no long term plan to work toward.
0: Yeah. And did you, when you got that money, was there any uh, was there any Catholic guilt there of like, oh, I made all this money, I didn't work too hard for it, like because I mean, I was taught you have to ha- really hate what you do uh, to get paid well.
1: Well, I, I I didn't have any Catholic guilt making it, but when it comes time to spend it, boy, <laughs> am I riddled with guilt. <laughs> I deserve to have it. I just don't deserve to use it to make myself happy, Bob. Okay, because so- Catholicism taught me, you know, two really important things. Um, Jesus is Lord and I don't deserve to be happy. That's right. <laughs> Those are my two big takeaways from Cabals. Thanks for sure letting me tithe, do my like bits, it. by the way. This is
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you have to tithe. Give 10%. Give 10%. Yeah,
1: yeah no, so I think it's it's a it's a very fair question. And I think it's interesting. There have been a few books written in the past few years about how rich people feel really bad about having about about having money. I don't feel bad about it. I, I, this has been part of the design since I was in in middle school. I was like, make good grades, get into a good college, get get a good job, work your ass off, make money. That's how it works, you know. I stayed up till two o'clock in the morning doing calculus at my kitchen table because I wanted to go to a good school and I wanted to make some money someday, and and it and it paid off. Now, did I deserve as much as I got? No, but you know I did work very hard for it. Yeah, I am yeah. quite conscious, however, that the world is a highly unequal place, and my wife and I work uh, do our best to be very thoughtful about how we can use our philanthropic dollars to not just support institutions that 'll put my name on a on a hallway or a room or something like that, but to change people 's lives who 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 want to do better in the world
0: yeah, absolutely and um how do you uh you know one of the things you're doing right now is your your podcast is about happiness and money um so first question is you know do you feel happy do you feel mostly happy mostly satisfied
1: hopefully your wife's not listening um <laughs> <laughs> no i i you know i'll it's a journey. And, and what's, what was interesting to me, the reason I wanted to explore the connection between money and happiness is, is, is because when I made a lot of money, I expected that I would be absolutely fulfilled and feel like a million bucks and, uh, or, or many millions of bucks. But, but really I was like, why do I feel like a moron who just walked away from a really good thing? Because, and I started reading and, 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 and doing research on the topic and, and you find out when you stop to inquire about it, that the sources of happiness in life past a certain amount of money have to do with what you do every day and who you do it with. It's all about the people in your life and having a purpose that goes beyond um, just stimulating yourself in one way or another every day. And when you quit your job, this is what what I learned when I quit my job was I was getting way more from work than a paycheck. When I I wasn't conscious of it. All I was conscious of was the stress and the travel and the office politics that drove me crazy. And yet, when I quit, I didn't miss all of it, but I missed like eighty five percent of it. I missed being part of a team, and I missed my friends at work. I missed the credibility I had built up over a decade, a couple of decades in the industry. I missed having a good answer to the question, "What do you do?" Right. Now, I didn't go back to it, obviously. Right. <laughs> yeah, but but you know those things are happening for most of us at work. And um, even if you don't need it, that that twice a month paycheck is a reminder that your time matters and that you're up to something beyond just working on your golf swing every day. And And when that goes away, it starts to make you doubt yourself. Yeah.
0: And did you find when people became aware of your New financial status? Did you have long lost relatives or friends that had great investments, and you had to learn to say no, or did people just sort of respect the boundary?
1: Uh, mostly no. A few examples of that, and um, uh, but but m- very minor stuff, really. And that's that's an interesting experience when that has to ha- when that happens, and you learn how to manage it. Um, yeah. But you know, and I've made some investments that didn't. I made some good investments. I've made some bad investments, and and you know, I realized that I'm not really a a person who wants to be an angel investor, and I've basically just stopped because not because I don't. If I'm not going to jump in and be involved with the company, then I probably shouldn't put my money there because if that's what you're doing, you're basically buying a lottery ticket, right? And I'm not. I'm not into lottery tickets, yeah, especially when they're my friends' companies because. I don't want to feel bad about my friendship with that guy, and inevitably, when you hand somebody a check, your relationship with them changes, and and it gets weird. And I don't want to have weirdness between me and the people I love. Yeah.
0: No. Absolutely. Do you chalk with your do you talk with your kids about money? Like, do you um, let them know, hey, life's pretty good for you guys, or? You know, do you put any Catholic guilt that you throw back at them?
1: Well, you know, we're all going to screw up our kids one way or the other, and and if you have too much, you're going to screw them up. If you don't have enough, you're going to screw them up. If you have too much religion, uh, you're going to screw them up. If you if you don't have any religion, they're going to grow up and be like, my dad didn't teach me any principles, and it's like, so what are you going to do? I mean, we try to we try to strike the balance. It's interesting because even as fortunate as we are, our kids see other families that have significantly more. Right. And you know, they've got friends who fly on private jets. They have friends who have several houses. They have friends whose houses are meaningfully bigger. That's and so what we try to do is just gently remind them that that they're comparing themselves against what they don't have and not reminding not reminding they're not conscious or aware of what they do have relative to 99.5% of the rest of America and 99.999999% of the world. Yeah. And so when we um you know when we travel uh we take nice trips we we do our best to gently remind them that these are these are wonderful privileges and that travel is a priority because it's a great way for mom and dad to spend time with with the kids.
0: Yeah, I think that's uh Awesome that you travel. And I think it's so true that most people are looking at what they don't have instead
1: of 100%. I do it. You do it. Yeah. We all do it. And you have to catch yourself. Otherwise, Stop. you're going to drive yourself crazy, no matter how much you have. Yeah.
0: No, totally. Uh, did you run a credit check on your wife before you got married? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, if I did, I wouldn't admit it.
0: Did you know about each other's finances? Did you have any conversations? Did you? uh
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. And and it's interesting. One of of the best podcast episodes that I've done is one where she and I talk frankly about how we talk about money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I had a friend of mine from business school who emailed me and said, Wow, you just made me feel so much better about my husband because you're a freak. You know, basically. (laughs) So so um you know she was she, she and her husband fight all 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 couples fight no yeah. and, and and the you know the misbelief i had as a kid was if i make more money i won't stress about money that's absolutely right. not true not true it's yeah. absolutely, it, it's it, you if you keep your if you keep your spending in line you'll be less stressful about money but that can happen at every level of income and resources
0: yeah and i think for a lot of people that get money and especially that get it uh, you know, all of a sudden there, uh, there's that potential scarcity that could all disappear again. Like it showed up, but now it's going to go away. So let's start hoarding, or let's start. Yeah. You know, the anxiety kicks in.
1: Well, that's why you got to keep your spending in line. And I mean, you know, it's all relative. No matter, I mean, there's people that have a hundred million dollars and they're broke because they're yeah. spending like they have a billion. And that's the pressure that is the, you know, the, 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 the air current of wealth of spending draws you higher and higher your, your wants become your needs. And all of a sudden you think, well, I I mean, I can afford a NetJets card. Sure. Sure. I can do that. (laughs) Well, I got an extra 25 K I can come up with.
0: Yeah. Peanuts, peanuts. Well, you know, Michael Jackson, I was going to say Michael Jackson's family, I guess, apparently when he was alive. He was spending so much money, they said he was going to go broke. And then when he mm. passed, his estate made so much money because he wasn't spending.
1: Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. most of
0: us don't spend when we're dead, I guess. So um, dying
1: is a great career move if you can pull it off. If you, know? you can, yeah. <laughs> <It's-> if you've <laughs> got a catalog like Michael's,
0: that's right, <laughs> exactly. And you got a lot of dirt around you. How often do you talk with your wife about money?
1: Not as often as we should. Honestly, you know we. Uh, we both work from home. Well, I guess all of us work from home since last wow. March. But you know, we both work from home. We get the kids off to school, and then you know, we both kind of go towards our. And, and the good news is, we both have things we're fully committed to work-wise. And so we, she, I come to the back house to do to my to do my work. She goes in her office to do her work, and then we see each other. You know, maybe at lunch and then at dinner time. We don't carve out as much time to talk about money as we should. Um, you know, we, we just yesterday morning, I sat down and we talked for half an hour about things in our life, including um, uh, family issues that are important to us with her parents and our kids. And and so we try to take a few minutes to turn off our computers, look at each other without our phones in our hands and talk about things. But money is still hard to talk about. It, yeah. even Even when things are great, it's hard to talk about.
0: What do you want your legacy to be like in terms of financial, in terms of family,
1: Ooh. Like, what's the footprint? Oh man. I didn't know there was going to be, <laughs> is this part of the, the, the rapid fire round?
0: No, no, we're not No, <laughs> you have
1: to like, you have to pause. You have it, to have, I, was... <laughs> I need a tear. Um... Um, that's, you know what, man, I should be thinking about that. I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I probably think too much about you know like the denial of death and the Becker book and and immortality projects and things like that. So I'm like I'm I'm em, empirically I'm aware that I'm going to die and nobody's going to remember me. Like I know that, right? I know that I <laughs> I know that if I get an if I get an HBO hour, I know that if I sell a bestseller that. Two years after i'm dead nobody's gonna remember think about the biggest comedian the biggest author from 10 years ago who are they you can't do it and 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 so it's like empirically i know these things and yet emotionally i still feel like i've got to get that book done i've got to you know i've got to get to the next level of comedy um you know uh i think from a money perspective I we're not we're not as I alluded to earlier. We're not really seeking out places where we can put the Ollinger name on the side of a building. Not yeah. that we have as much. Right, I mean right. those things cost like 100 million dollars now, right? right? We're not giving we don't have and we're not giving away 100 million dollars. But I I do think about it in terms of the number of lives that I can that I can affect. Yeah. One of the one of the people I interviewed for the podcast is a guy named Peter Singer. And he is um, a, a professor at Princeton whom the New Yorker called the world's most influential living philosopher. And he talks about the duties of people of means. And even, a people of means he would mm-hmm. define as pretty much anybody who's a middle class or above in the United States relative to those in the needs of the world. Yeah. And he started a, a charity called The Most Good You Can Do. Uh, or, the life you can save, sorry that he 's the two different books with basically the same thing, and the whole point is he wants people to come to the website and say for seventy five dollars you can provide cataract surgery in the third world to give somebody their livelihood back for yeah. seven hundred dollars you can you can cure a woman 's fistula, which is a post pregnancy uh, condition that basically creates, uh, they're becoming continent and they become pariahs and they can't participate in society. For $700, you can correct that and and put that person's life back on track. Wow. And so, um, and we give some, to, we, we give a decent amount to them. And we also support an organization called Year Up, which is a national job training program that takes uh, mostly inner city young adults who are working say fast food say retail which are fine jobs but they're not jobs that you can raise a family on because you don't have to have marketable real marketable skills to be able to do that and it trains these young people to in the with technological skills that allow them to go making 47 63 73 thousand dollars a year depending on the market and then they have a career on the other side of that. On which they can raise a family, and so we think about if you invest that money as opposed to just giving it away, you can really change somebody's life. And if and if we invest this well, I'd like to be able to say that we've really made a difference in, in a lot of people's lives measurably.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. No, I and I think it is important to give forward and do philanthropy and, and help people out. So
1: yeah, but really, I want that bestseller.
0: Yeah, I hear you and 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 the building the building with and the, the building, name
1: and the building, and the building right the building. don't we cuz then yeah. i won't die cuz then yeah. i'll be alive forever
0: unless they change your name cuz they decide later on you were a bad person
1: that's but- or- <laughs> right you get you get you get canceled uh posthumously or, some, right. or more likely somebody comes along and just gives more money and they're like uh ah, fuck ollinger yeah He's
0: yeah nobody remembers him <laughs> all right well now i'm gonna make it a little bit easier we're into the fast five right. so not quite so much pressure um if you could share a meal with any four individuals living or dead who would they be and would you pay the bill
1: uh the beatles absolutely <laughs> okay. I, I mean whatever the bill is i mean sure <laughs>
0: Would you rather trade uh, intelligence for looks or looks for intelligence? Mm.
1: I'm gonna go with uh, it's it's a wash. I'm just gonna keep what I got. I'm pretty grateful for what I got, even though I'm bald as shit and I got a I got a wart on my lip right now. I'm I'm good.
0: Hey, the way I figure is, I don't have to look at myself. Everybody else does, but that's their pain. Um, all right. This next question, I have to tell you, uh, Alyssa. This is my staff person. This is her question. So I think you have a fan. Boxers, briefs, or boxer briefs?
1: <laughs> boxer briefs. In fact, I just got so um, I just got a great uh, care package from uh, Spanx Men. We 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 are friends with some of the people over there, and uh, their boxer briefs are the best for men. <laughs>
0: see we just did a plug for him awesome product plug you're welcome (laughs) spanks there you go (laughs) spanks who would you want to play you in a movie of your life
1: um jason bateman okay
0: Uh, and if you had to pick one emoji to describe your relationship with money what would it be
1: uh is there is there a grateful emoji I'd like to, I'm going to try to be high-minded and come out with grateful.
0: All right. Awesome. I don't know. You know, I bear, I just, somebody has to explain each of the pictures to me because I you know, I have to get a magnifying glass and I'm like, wait, what is that? Um, Actually, (laughs) it's an
1: eggplant. It's definitely the eggplant. (laughs)
0: It's the eggplant.
1: I mean, that's that's a good one.
0: That's a good one. Well, um, all right. We're at our M&M moment, our money and motivation sweet spot. Uh, What piece of advice, financial tip or wealth wisdom can you give our listeners? Based on your life,
1: I would say um, spend less than you make. It <laughs> that often works out you, well. It's going to keep you out of a lot of trouble.
0: Yes, absolutely. Or make if more really, than you
1: make more sorry, than sorry. you spend. Make more than you spend. Well, there, there's two ways to come at that, right? And <laughs> yeah. at a certain point, you run out of hours in the week to work. Uh, so if you can keep your if you can keep your wants and needs in line, you'll be much happier in the long run.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, uh, you know, as we've been talking, I mean, what I'm really hearing is a lot about intentionality, uh, like actually thought (laughs) involved in in how you're laying out your life and uh, uh, not comparing to uh, what you don't have, because I think so many of us do do that. Um, Oh, I don't have that. I don't have, oh, but I have this Um, and not really, uh, yeah, comparison. And I forget what the the phrase is, but. comparison is the the thief of joy thief of joy there you go i knew you would know that um and you know i really love this piece about happiness because i do i've traveled to a lot of uh uh, developing countries uh which has really given me appreciation uh for my spoiled entitled life that's uh you know i have a good life i can't complain even though i can go oh i didn't i didn't go to princeton i didn't even send in the application (laughs) i didn't even send in the application with my uh my, my white out, but uh, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, but really just like showing up. Um, so I, yeah, I so appreciate you coming on. I, uh, I I should have this big, amazing closing ending, but I'm just uh, it's been a great conversation. I, I just think people out there who are just trying to make a buck um, and thinking that's going to bring them happiness might want to redirect their
1: thinking and, and really like look for the experiences. Well, I mean, you got to have enough. I mean, this wasn't, I know I had my imminent moment, but you (laughs) got to have enough. And, uh, but, but making sure that you understand what enough really is, is, is a pretty important part that will keep you from comparing and, and, and causing yourself a lot of pain.
0: And how do you, for yourself, knowing that you're financially set, how
1: do you keep it in line? Well, it's about awareness of what we want that you know my wife and i have made the decision to pursue our own things that are not um income generating right, right. and and so um so so there are things that if we were if we were each employed, bringing in you know uh, a 95th percentile salary we could we could take risks on things that uh, we could spend more on travel we could we could uh you know potentially have that net jets card but right. we decided because i want to pursue a creative life we're gonna we're gonna put that on hold until there's a time in the future where we are generating income um, and that's more important to me than the ability to live a little bit higher lifestyle and we're conscious of that
0: yeah well, I totally believe that the world needs a little more creativity and a little less uh, <laughs> more Wall Street. <laughs>
1: I, I mean, you know, there's a lot of miserable people on Wall Street. Of course, there's a lot of miserable people in comedy clubs, too, but in um, green rooms, especially. But but yeah, I mean, like, I, I think that the, the freedom to the freedom to pursue what you want to do is is worth sacrificing a lot of luxury for. Absolutely. Where can people find you online? Uh, You can look for my podcast, Crazy Money, wherever you get your podcast love. Uh, And my website is Paulollinger.com. Olinger is O-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. Beautiful. We will put all that up. And I will
0: say uh, to our listeners, don't forget to share the love. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player. Visit podchaser.com and search for Money You Should Ask or click on the link below. If you prefer to watch our episodes, head over to YouTube and subscribe to our channel. For more tips, tools, or to learn more about your money nerve, visit moneynerve.com Paul, thank you so much for taking the time and coming and talking to us about crazy money and uh, wishing you all
1: the best. All the best. Thank you, Bob. It was my pleasure to be here.